Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ephesians, the third chapter. We completed our reading and our reading through in our morning service, but we're still studying in this. We're back in chapter 3, coming, we're kind of climbing the mountaintop to the pinnacle of this book, and that really is what the, the, this last section of chapter 3 is, in giving us that view that will then take us down in chapters 4, 5, and 6 into the practical living, the valleys where we live. But from this mountaintop, we can see the greatness of God. And I want us to consider this morning, particularly, the love of God. Have you ever questioned God's love for you? I know intellectually we say, oh no, we know that God loves us. But has there ever been a time where maybe in the midst of temptation or personal dilemmas, financial struggles, work difficulties, family issues, or possibly health issues, that something's come up and there's that question in your mind, does God really love me? Does he realize what's going on? Is, is he aware of what's happening in my life right now? I think if we're honest, the truth is at some point, most of us, if we haven't already, will struggle with whether or not God really loves us. And I want us to consider this morning the aspect of seeking to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love. Now, many, many of you are aware that when we moved to Arizona eight years ago, a short time after that, a few months afterwards, our daughter Caitlin became quite ill. The doctor who really took the lead in trying to figure out what was wrong with her recommended that she not return to college in August, and then over the next several months, the, the doctors conducted test after test suggesting one problem, then pivoting and going to another way and uh, experimenting and speculating, and all this time her health declined. And I vividly remember one evening as she lay on our couch, this girl who had lots of energy and now just really uh, lethargic, and I'm sitting across the room watching the, the life drain out of this once vibrant daughter of ours, and wondering, God, what are you doing? I don't know that I ever reached the point where I was accusing God, but I was on that edge. And, and my struggle was, I was perplexed personally, because in my mind, I loved my daughter, and I know that God, according to his word, says he loves my daughter. So if I had the power, I would have removed the problem. So why wasn't God doing that? Because he has the power. And that was my struggle. Now, it's, it, God, if, if you loved her, why, why is this happening? And understanding in those times of struggle, Satan is going to seize on our questions. And he will use those to cast doubt over the love of God. You know, if, if this is happening in your life, how can God really love you? And if you haven't been there, be ready because it will come. Because Satan is the accuser. And in this life, we will face trials. But I, I remember struggling that evening. 
And that one night particularly, Lord, I, I love my daughter, and yet, why are you allowing her to suffer? In this passage of Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer culminates in really expressing what has been laid out in the first three chapters. And it focuses in on the love of Christ that is so vital to understand in those difficult times. And what I want us to consider from this passage this morning is that the, lo the Lord desires for you to grow in an experiential knowledge of His love. And when we comprehend the magnitude of His love, that realization will provide the basis for our spiritual growth. It will give us stability in those times of trial. And it sustains us through di life's difficulties. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 14. Our text is going to be verses 17 through 19, but we're jumping into the middle of Paul's prayer, and so I want us to get the context by, by picking up the prayer beginning in verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that we truly would be able to better comprehend the incomprehensible love of Jesus Christ. That while we will never fully know your love for us, that we would know it better and that we would trust you. So work in our hearts through your word. In Christ's name, amen. In this passage, Paul is praying for the spiritual growth of the believers there at, Ephe at Ephesus. He prays, first of all, in what we considered two weeks ago, that they would have a dynamic spiritual life. It's a prayer for power. It's a prayer that they would understand and, and that, the, that they would glean from the riches of God's grace and then be strengthened by the indwelling of the Spirit. The second aspect of the prayer that we considered was he prayed that Christ would be at home in their life, that, that he would be settled down in their hearts, as we just read. And, and the idea here is that he wouldn't merely be a guest, but that he would be able to paint the walls and rearrange the furniture. And we zeroed in on that, and we, we took a tour through our, the hearts, homes, and we looked at the library of our mind, asking, is what we think, read, watch, that which be acceptable to him. The dining room of our appetites, our appetites of what we hunger and thirst after. The living room of our fellowship with the Lord. How are we doing in that? The workshop of our talents and our abilities, our skills. Our recreation room. How we're entertained. And then those closets, that hidden area. Do we allow Christ to take control? And understanding none of us are move-in ready. That when Christ comes, that process of sanctification is continuing. And so we consider these two aspects of the prayer. And this morning, I want to consider a third aspect. The third request is that Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus that they would really understand and discern the will of God. That they would have a better comprehension of, of God's love for them. 
He wants them to be confident in the security of Christ, love, and then to better grasp the magnitude of it. And when Paul speaks of the love of Christ, he, he, he takes off. And he expands on that. And that's what I want us to consider this morning because the Lord wants us to grow in an experiential knowledge of his love. The very wording in this passage, in these verses, presents that paradox. That you will know the, the breadth, the, the length, the depth, the height of the love of Christ which is beyond comprehension that you will know what you really will never grasp. And while we will never fully comprehend it, we can know Him better. We can better understand and experience the love of Christ. And when we do, we will be strengthened, we will be secure, we will be stable in our spiritual walk. We move beyond the superficial. You know, if, if our idea of the love of Christ resembles a, a Hollywood chick flick or a Hallmark movie, we're just on the surface. It is a much deeper love. Christ's love is sacrificial, not sentimental. It's me, moving beyond the, the superficial. And I think sometimes that's where my doubts come from. Well, Lord, if you really loved me, everything would go well for me. No, actually, he has a greater goal for my life and your life than merely our happiness. It's that we would be holy, that we would be like Christ. And so I want us to consider this. The first thing that we see in moving beyond the, the superficial is that the love of Christ is the basis for your spiritual growth. It says that we would be rooted and grounded in love. You know, the most tremendous and probably misunderstood characteristic of God is his love. When we talk about the wisdom of God, we're, we're, we're speaking of his mind. When we talk of the power of God, we speak of his arm or his hand, his strength. The word of God, we speak of his mouth, but when we talk about the love of God, it's opening his heart and understanding the heart of who God is. And the clearest display of the heart of God is at Calvary. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of the love of Christ for us. For God so loved the world. The Bible says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unlovely and undesirable and actually his enemies, God loved us. And that's the foundation for our growth. So Paul prays that Christ will be the center of their lives, and as he does, he's praying that they will be rooted and grounded in love, and in doing so, he's mixing his metaphors. He didn't take the writing class that I had to take in grad school. But he's mixing the metaphors because it's bringing together the idea of what is taking place. The, the Greek verbs being used here indicate something that took place in the past, but it's having continual results in the present. And he says, I want you to be rooted like a healthy plant, that's an agricultural term, and grounded like a secure building, that's an architectural term, that you will have the right foundation. And he's pulling these together so that we will understand that this is the foundation for our spiritual growth. He's praying that they will have depth and maturity and stability for a dynamic spiritual life. 
So the question we have to ask then is, from where do you draw your spiritual strength and stability? How are you doing in spiritual stability? Are, are you up and down? And, and as we go through life, you know, it's going to talk about this in the coming chapters, that we're not cast to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes. Well, how do we get rooted and grounded? Understanding the love of Christ. The more you understand the love of Christ, the better you grow in godliness and, and will be able to weather those times of doubt and difficulty. See, love is the soil in which a believer will grow and mature. And in order to be rooted and grounded in love, that means, first of all, you have to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have to have that relationship. It's not enough to know about Christ's love in an intellectual capacity like you're reading a systematic theology book any more than you would understand the love of a parent or a spouse by reading a sociology book. You need to have the experiential aspect as well as the intellectual. So Romans 5.5 tells us that for those who have trusted Christ, the love of Christ has been poured out in our hearts. God's love floods our innermost being and we've been inundated with His love by the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 5.5 is expressing. Christ's love is not revealed in isolation. It's, it's, in, it's in a context. In fact, he, it tells us that not only is he, he love, he is light. He's holy. He's pure. So God's love is a holy love. It's a pure love. It's a sanctifying love, not a sentimental love. So in Ephesians chapter 5, just over a page or maybe across the page, it begins in verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. And then in verse 8 it says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're motivated by the love of Christ to become holy and walk in light. And a genuine and deep perception of the love of Christ won't come if we're not spending time in His Word. When those doubts come, we have to drive them away with the truth of God's Word. We have to bring into captivity every thought to obey the word of the Lord, to obedience of Christ. And that's where we get our stability in the storms of life. We have to come from an experiential knowledge of God's character and God's love as he is revealed in his word. But it's not enough to just be able to check the boxes on a, a Bible test. Does it apply when you're facing those trials? You know, when our daughter was going through that time and her health is declining, after three and a half months, the, the doctors determined that she had severe aplastic anemia and needed to have a bone marrow transplant. And the doctor that we had had set up the bone marrow transplant unit up in the hospital in Scottsdale, and so she spent a month in that hospital. And most days, I would take my wife up in the morning, drop her at the hospital. I would drive back down to the office. I'd be in the office for the day. And then I would return to the hospital in the evening. And early on in that process of driving back and forth, I received a phone call from my brother-in-law, Bruce McAllister, who was with us a couple of months ago. He was just calling to encourage me as he knew what we were facing. And he made this comment, something to this effect. He said, both you and your wife have a strong view of God's sovereignty and will trust him, and that will carry you through this trial. I really didn't understand what he was driving at. 
during that time, during that phone call. But what he said lodged in my mind. And what it did was it forced me to redirect my thinking away from the circumstances back to who God was. And looking back these years later, I realized that it really was the understanding the love of Christ in an experiential way that helped root and ground me during those times of question and doubt and struggle. And I wish I could tell you the only time I had that doubt was that one night sitting on the chair watching my daughter. That wasn't it at all. This was a daily battle. But it was that comment that directed me back to God's Word that I had to ask, where am I drawing my spiritual strength from? If I draw from the circumstances, I'm in trouble. If I draw from what I can do, I'm in trouble. But it comes from trusting the Lord. When Paul mentions the love of Christ, he, he then has to expand on it. But you need to understand Christ's love personally because it's the basis for spiritual growth and it's the resource from which we draw. And now, now he's going to expand on that. And what we see is the love of Christ is realized in the context of a spiritual family. That's our second point this morning that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. He begins by saying, with all the saints. And it's interesting because he's bringing it into the context of the church. The context of this passage is, earlier in chapter 3, he's revealing the mystery of the church. He said, I get to tell this mystery. Previously hidden, now revealed... That, that the Lord is taking Jews and Gentiles who were enemies and putting them together in one family, a body, the church. That former enemies are now family. And, and it's, it's changing the whole dynamic because we talked about how the, in the Jewish temple you had divisions. You had the, the court for the priests. There was an area for the men. There was an area for the Jewish women. And then outside of all that was the court of the Gentiles. They couldn't come into those inner courts. But no longer. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. There is a unity that takes place. And it's within that context then that we are able to demonstrate and evaluate our experiential comprehension of the love of Christ. So in, Col in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. I mean, this is where the rubber hits the road. We can talk about, oh, yes, the love of Christ is great. How do we demonstrate it with other believers? This is how tender mercies, being kind, showing a humility, a meekness. Long-suffering, what does that mean? Putting up with one another. That's what it says, bearing with one another. I mean, it's, these are together. Okay, we have to put up with people. You know, some people rub you the wrong way. Just, I've told you before, just realize we probably do that to somebody else. We all fit that at some point. And so how do we overcome it? The love of Christ. 
You have a complaint? Forgive. You must do this. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. And understanding you will not properly comprehend Christ's love in isolation. Christ's love, by definition, is self-sacrificing. It's not self-focused. And what we have to understand is Christ's love experienced has to be expressed. If we've truly experienced it, not just understood it intellectually, then we have to express it. That's what we're called to do. So back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Walk with all lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. So after this pinnacle, the mountaintop of the love of Christ in chapter 3, Paul immediately moves to this in chapter 4. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, this was a church that thought the more spiritual signs, the more miraculous gifts they could show, the more mature they were spiritually. And so Paul's writing to them. Because they thought that, you know, if they've got especially the gift of tongues, then that shows that they've really reached the pinnacle. And he writes to them in chapter 13, and he says, look, if I have all the gifts, the gift of tongues, prophecy, understood all mysteries, and have all knowledge, and I give all my possessions away to the poor, and even give my body to be martyred, and I don't have love, the sum total of that is zero. He says, I am nothing. He said, you can do all this stuff, and if, it is, if there isn't love, it doesn't amount to anything. So the question we have to ask then is, is how is your commitment to the church family hindered or enhanced by experiencing Christ's love? You know, how are we doing? We pray for unity, and I think we have a great unity at Tri-City Baptist Church. It's a delight, but we can never become complacent. You know, is there somebody that you struggle with and you just assume you didn't run into them or you don't want to see them or hope they don't show up at your ABF or, or small group? How does that display the love of Christ? What is he seeking to do to grow us? Well, I just want to be happy. No, he puts us through things to reveal where we need to become holy. And understanding this. Remember in verses 14 and 15, which we read earlier, it says, God is the Father and we are part of his spiritual family. And that's one of the themes in chapter 2 that was one of reconciliation. Do you realize this, that, that, that God wants those in his family to get along? Just as we do as parents, we want our kids to get along. We, we try to mitigate the problems. And, and I remember when, when our boys were really young and they'd start going at it, and I'd, I'd step in and say, hey, guys, you're best friends. You'll always have each other. Your other friends are going to move off in life, but you've got each other. They didn't feel like best friends at that moment. But I wanted to put that in their mind because we're family. And they truly did become best friends. But we have to do that as a church family. God wants his kids to get along. He doesn't want us to behave like the devil's kids. Now, on the positive side of this, it's our church family where we grow and demonstrate the love for Christ's bride. It's how we encourage one another. As I mentioned, we'd only been here a few months when our daughter became sick and, and our heart was greatly encouraged. My wife and I were so encouraged by the, the commitment of our church family. You didn't really know us then. And yet the compassion and the many ways that, that you demonstrated, the prayer support that was vital. 
but some of the practical aspects of helping with transportation and helping with logistics and, and coming over and cleaning our house so that we had a, 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 an environment where our daughter, when she came home with her immune system compromised, that we had done everything we could to make it as safe as possible. And we, we got gift cards to some of the places around the, the hospital, some of the restaurants, the fast food places. I, you know, I ate so much hospital food. I was on a first-name basis with the cook. I mean, we developed a friendship. And, and he was asking why I was there so much, and I was telling him, and, and I learned a lot about food preparation for the, the bone marrow transplant unit, too. But I, I remember one time, I was not, a, I was not <clears throat> too proud to ask for the senior discount with my hair. And so I'd go through the cashier's line, and I, you know, I'd have my food, and i said, can I get the senior discount? And they said, sure. And one day I'm walking through, and the cashier says, I'll do better than that. He said, I've seen you around here so much, I'll give you the staff discount. <laughs> You've been in the hospital too much when they're giving you the staff ca- discount in the cafeteria. <laughs> But you know, it was the prayers of our church family that encouraged us, that strengthened and sustained. I can't imagine going through trials like that without a spiritual family, without others to encourage and strengthen. And that's why it's so important to be part of a family. Say, well, I'm doing good right now. Problems will come. We live in a fallen world. We need that. And this is what Paul is talking about. And then he expresses the magnitude of Christ's love. It, he, he really launches into this. And the passage uses four words that drive home the point of the magnitude of Christ's love. These are terms that express the measurement, the immensity that is really beyond our comprehension, but it's helping us at least get a better understanding. Now, I just want to say that if you read commentaries, there are some really creative suggestions and unusual ter- interpretations as to what is being expressed here. Uh, some of them are interesting. Some of them I find interesting from an illustrative perspective. But the Bible can only mean what God meant. And so let's be careful that we don't launch into that. That really is probably not the best discussion in your adult Bible fellowship afterwards today. Though, well, I think it means this. The real question is, what does God mean? But it is very helpful for us. And I think the terms are fitting for an agricultural and architectural metaphors that have been laid out. Paul says, how wide, how broad is the love of Christ? Well, it's wide enough to embrace the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How wide is that? It's wide enough to reach to the Gentiles in chapter 2, verse 11, where it says they were strangers. They were outside, excluded from the covenant promises. In fact, it says in verse 13 of chapter 2, they were afar off. And that's mentioned again in chapter 2, verse 17. It's wide enough to break down the wall of division that's mentioned in chapter 2, verse 14. The barrier of partition that destroyed the hostility and the the animosity, verse 15, chapter 2, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think because of God's love displayed in Christ, whoever believes in Him from the opposite parts of the world, Jews and Gentiles have that everlasting life because of His love. You know, I think it is illustrative that as Christ hung on the cross without with outstretched arms nailed to the cross, 
it was an illustration of how wide his love was. How long? The length of his love. Well, this is a love that reaches into eternity past because God's love began when he chose us all the way back before the world was created. We see this in chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation, before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Yes, we're saved to be holy, but it's his love before he ever created the world that he looked down through the time of history. How long? Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it doesn't stop now. It goes the other direction because in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, so that in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. So it's going the other direction too. And the same Greek word that's used there in in chapter 2, verse 7, speaking of ages to come, is repeated twice in verse 21 of chapter 3. In our text, or just beyond our text this morning, where it's, you know, forever and ever, literally, of the ages of the ages. So we go to eternity, future. The riches of God's love are shown in His grace and kindness in Christ from eternity past to eternity future. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, It is so long that your old age cannot wear it out. So your continual tribulations cannot exhaust it. Your successive temptations will not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. How long? That explains it. How deep? What is the depth of his love? Well, it's deep enough to reach into the grave. To those who were dead. This is chapter 2, verse 1. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. It reaches down to where sinners are. Those with no spiritual life, dead to righteousness and faith and holiness and submission, but alive to unbelief and corruption and rebellion and sin, We were, as we studied chapter 2, we were dead and defiant, defiled. We're part of the kingdom of wickedness, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind. And the love of God reached down to the depths. Sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as other people. I read an interesting statement this week. I shared it with some of our staff. It really stood out to me. I said, we can vent our fleshly passions by breaking all the rules, Or we can vent our fleshly passions by keeping all the rules. But both ways are venting the flesh and we still need resurrection. We can be immoral dead people or we can be moral dead people. But either way, we're dead. And you who were dead, well, I may not be as defiled, still dead. And God's love, the love of Christ reaches us. It reaches down into the grave of sin It reaches the lowest sinner. Philippians 2.8, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's how deep, how high. Well, God's love is high enough to take us and bless us with spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. That's chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We sang, we can pray, we can come boldly, I approach the throne of grace. 
How can I do that? I can go into the heavenlies because of the love of Christ. That we have that privilege. Not only do we get the spiritual blessing of access to heavenly places, it tells us in chapter 2, verse 6, that we get to sit in heavenly places with Jesus. It says, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. I mean, this is amazing when we stop and think about it. You know, I, I, I would be happy to live in the attic of heaven. I thought about the basement of heaven, but I, I, my, I couldn't get my mind around what that would actually look like. But we don't, we don't get relegated to some side room, say, okay, you made it in, but please, please stay out of the way. No, we get to sit with Jesus Christ. That is the love of Christ. Because none of us deserve it. That is the love of God in Christ. It's broad enough to reach everyone. It's long enough to go from eternity past to eternity future. And before the world began to after it ends forever and ever, it's deep enough to reach to the pit of the deepest sinner and rescue the most defiled and then high enough to take us into the heavenlies and put us down with Jesus. That's his love for us. It's astounding that God would love sinners. And if you fully understand and comprehend what I've just explained, you're doing better than I am. But if we stretch ourselves, we'll get a better understanding. Because none of us have ever experienced that kind of love from another human being. In the most loving, best relationship we've ever had, there's always a coming short because we're sinners. And we've never truly understood and and experienced that kind of love except in Christ. And so in verse 19, then it says, the Greek word stating Christ's love passes knowledge. The Greek word there is a compound word that means to throw beyond. You know, I picture it like playing catch with somebody and they're not real good on their coordination and control and they throw the ball way over your head. And you stretch to try to get it. And you don't really get it, but you've at least stretched. Of course, if I do that now, I'll feel it for several days afterwards. But with the love of Christ, it's so far over our heads. But if we stretch for it, we'll at least get a better understanding. And what we see thirdly then is the love of Christ is confirmed in the difficulties of life. God's love is is an exercise of his goodness. J.I. Packer in his classic work, the Knowing God, notes this. He says, The statement, God is love, means that his love finds expression in everything that he says and does. Now, God identifies with our welfare. He not only saves us for his glory, but he is glad to save us. There is joy in the presence of angels when a sinner repents. It's not a reluctant salvation. It's the, it's the joy of the father when the prodigal son returns and the father goes running to him and throws his arms around him. That's the love that God has for us. One author referred to God's love as his cosmic generosity. So where is God when the adversity comes? Where, where was God when our daughter was so ill? He was right there with us. He had a plan. And it was for His glory and our good. Because God's love is expressed in the gift of His Son. In Romans 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not, 
with him also freely give us all things. The verse says if, if God was willing to give his son so that you could be saved, you can trust him that he'll give you whatever is necessary. This verse points to the cross, as does Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God, says, if God's love is sufficient for my greatest need, my eternal salvation, surely it is sufficient for my lesser needs, the adversaries, the adversities that I encounter in this life. So the verse that we probably know well really comes to bear in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But what happens when trials come? I have to trust God. I have to think biblically. I have to ponder His character. I have to claim that verse that, that this is for His glory and for my good. And we cannot allow the emotions to sway our minds that somehow we think it's supposed to be a superficial love. And that's difficult, especially in a culture where what somebody feels is equal to truth. No, God is truth. His word is truth. Your, your emotions and my emotions must submit to the truth. Do doubts arise? Absolutely. This happens to all of us. In Isaiah 40, verse 14, it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever been there? God forgot me. You know, hey, I'm over here. Do you understand what's going on? Do you see what's happening? Do you recognize? And here's how the Lord answers. Verse 15 of Isaiah 40. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? God uses one of the most loving, intimate, and tender pictures of human bonding to illustrate his love for his people. That of a nursing child. Can a mother forget that child? Now, unfortunately, in a fallen world, it does happen. But it doesn't happen with God. So view your circumstances through the glasses of God's love instead of looking at God's love through the glasses of your circumstances. That's what I had to readjust. Because even when God brings difficulties, even if it's discipline, the Bible tells us whom the Lord loves, He chastens. It's not out of anger, it's because He loves us. God is working not some things together for good, but all things together for good. You know, it's, it's, it's like in, in baking. There are some things I really like to eat, but I wouldn't want to eat the ingredients separately. In fact, even after they're mixed, I wouldn't want to eat them. They need the heat of the oven to bring them to what it's supposed to be. God uses the heat of adversity to bring together the ingredients that he's brought into our life. He's molding a tapestry that will be for his glory. And we have to understand, none of us really comprehend the sinfulness of our hearts. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So when the heat and the pressure of life comes, all of a sudden we see our stubbornness and our pride and our, our selfish goals, our lack of love, our distrust of God, our, our ability to justify ourselves all the time. And that comes to the surface. 
And the Lord said, that needs to be cleaned away so that you can know my love and reflect my son. And God uses those refining fires. And when we trust the Lord in adversity, we gain the experiential knowledge of his love. We develop in godliness and we're filled with all the fullness of God. That's what it says at the end of of verse 19. So what does that mean? Well, let me see if I can help illustrate. I I, I have a a 16-ounce cup here. Now, if I were to take this home and dunk it into our swimming pool and pull it up, it would be filled to the brim with the water of our pool. But it, it would have the fullness of the pool in it, but it wouldn't have all the pool. In fact, I could fill 100, 112,000 of these cups before I would empty our pool. And God's love is not a pool. It's an ocean. So what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? It means when we're plunged in and God fills us, that that would be demonstrated through the, the love that we have for Him. And the, regardless of the size of our container, we can pray to be filled with the moral excellency of God. The excellencies of God that will be evidenced by the Spirit's working in your life. It's, it's evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I, I like how... Pastor theologian Donald Barnhouse put it. He said, love is intrinsic to all of these. It begins with love. He said, joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness, love's forgetfulness. Self-control, love's holding back. It's, it's keeping the reins of keeping self in check. So how are we doing? Oh, that we would stretch to know the love of God. Because in what ways has Christ's love sustained you through the trials of life? When we understand trials will come, can you experientially look at God's sustaining? You know, as I think back on those words that Bruce McAllister used to encourage me over seven years ago, today I better understand what he meant. It was shifting my focus to the character of God and trusting His love, not just for my daughter, but for me. And that's what sustained us. That's what sustained me. It wasn't somehow this idea, oh, I know everything will work out. I didn't. It took a lot longer than the doctors thought. Our daughter's doing great today, but what I realized is by having to be stretched, I better understood the love of Christ, which really is incomprehensible. Are you trusting his love today? Or are you struggling with doubts? He's a God who's rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Jerry Bridges, in trusting God, made the statement, God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best for us. and his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it out. He wants the best. He knows the best. He will bring it to pass. The Lord desires that you would grow in an experiential knowledge of His love. How are you doing this morning? Let's pray together.